So, Stormy, I want to do a podcast for a while about psychological safety, but mm-hmm. from a perspective that I've never seen before, which is I'm going to try to, to make a case against it. Oh, my gosh. This came up. So, just saying. Did it? It's kind of. Can I, can I shoot you this? Because it's short. Yeah. Yeah, send it over. So this is interesting because we talked about this today. Okay, per- perfect. I like to blow it up to a point where I cut out the yeah, yeah. author. So Which is, yeah. A, yeah. So it says, if I were to write a book about slash for organizational leadership, it would be a condemnation of the leadership message today, which is about self-help being more purposeful, empathetic, motivating, people-centric, et cetera, et cetera. He says, don't get me wrong, Question. air quotes leaders, leaders like quotes leaders, mm-hmm. people go to work to work their work why is why is it working caps mm-hmm. uh should be motivating purposeful and done in connection with others Here, here's the thing leaders it's not about you it's about the work how it's done why it's done and where it's done i think i've read enough you need to really stop looking in the mirror so much uh, and instead of focus on the process protocols and rules behind preventing work from being meaningful and collaborative i'm not even sure what uh, yeah <laughs> this is why i love slash hate linkedin why are we concentrating so much on this warm and fuzzy BS Mm -hmm. and just go to work, listen to your leaders and just do what you're told. That's kind of what I distilled from that. I mean, that, that is a lot of people's point of view. That is a lot of people's. And 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 does that, does that kind of fit into what you were talking about? It certainly fits in the category of psychological safety is a bunch of nonsense. Get back to work. Like do what I say. Mm -hmm. I I don't even know if it's do what I say though. I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. a fair assessment of the category. Yeah. I wrote some points before okay. you got here, expecting to like, boom, get right into it. The first point that I had listed was, you have not earned the right to autonomy yet. Mm. Like you're like, oh, empower my team. But I as leader, I'm like, well, I, you're new or you're a new team or I still have to check in on you. I think that's gonna be the flow of this podcast is, I'll give you a point and then you tell me what arguing against it. Because yeah. <laughs> cause the arguing point here is, you have not earned that trust where I trust you to be empowered to figure out the way to get to the goal. I guess my question, my, my immediate question to that would be, what would be your definition of earning trust? What does that mean to you? So you're speaking from a leadership perspective. Yeah. So the team hasn't earned your trust to be autonomous yeah. and to work, to be self-organizing and figure things out on their own. So I'm, until you've earned that trust, then I'm going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or or and now it's not even just I could, I'm going to tell you what to do. It could be like I, the manager, I'm going to come to all of your uh, events and whatnot. You know? Okay. I see, I, I've seen this a lot in my career. Yeah, I've seen this a lot in my career with teams of contractors. Mm-hmm. I don't 100% trust the teams of contractors. So I'm going to come to your refinements. I'm going to come to your sprint planning. You know, I'm going to drop into your retrospectives. Okay. So it sounds from a leadership perspective, you're trying to check some boxes to make sure what that definition of trust is. Like, are they actually working? I've hired you to do a job. I'm going to come in and make sure that you're doing something that qualifies to me as checking that box of whatever work that I've hired you to do. Is that what you're saying? I mean, it could be. I'm not 100% certain because I, I think this one is it, like sometimes people just are on different wavelengths. Mm-hmm. That that could be what's going on with this one. It could be that. It could be we're just not on wavelengths. We're on the correct wavelengths yet. One of the goals, I don't know if it's a goal, one of the key points of psychological safety is you should be able to be your true real self. Mm-hmm. And if you have somebody in the equation who obviously is not 
being their true real self. They're not willing to go out and say, these are the things I need to be able to trust your team. Like that was the first thing you went to. You're like, okay, well, give me a, give me a checklist of things that you need to be able to trust my team. And then let us prove that and then get out of my life. That's not actually what I was going for. I was asking your, so what I was trying to do is understand your perspective. So from a leader, it sounds like there is some checklist, some mental checklist that you need to be able to fulfill to say, now I trust the team. So what I'm trying to do is go, okay, from a leader's perspective, what does that mean to you? Now, I'm not saying that that means you're gonna give me your checklist and I'm gonna make sure to meet those checklists so that you can trust me, but what I'm trying to do is understand where you're coming from. What is it that you're looking for so that you feel comfortable in saying, team, do your thing? Here's what I believe. I'm vehemently opposed to micromanagement. And I feel like we, you know, if we're doing a good job in hiring good people, and, and as a leader, hiring people smarter than me, which I'm comfortable in doing so that I don't have such a huge ego to say, I wanna make sure that I'm the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna hire people that are smarter than me that are gonna do a better job at what they know how to do best. And I am going to allow them to go free and do that thing. That becomes self-limiting. So yes, there is a period of time, so we need to go through for, particularly as a team, that forming, storming, norming thing. But particularly as a team, when we have people who are working together, and the expectation is that we succeed together and we fail together, the team will keep a team accountable. They keep themselves accountable. And I, as a leader, am reliant on that. And it becomes self-limiting. If I have somebody who's not pulling their weight, then that's something that typically the team deals with. Yeah. And if it isn't something that can be resolved within the team, then it is something that's, that's elevated up through management and then will come to potentially to something that, that a leader needs to handle. Mm -hmm. So, and, and kind of the short way of saying that is that if I'm hiring somebody with the skills that I need to do a good job or do the, do the job that I need them to do, I'm gonna trust them to do that. And if it turns out that they can't do that job or they can't do it well, mm -hmm then they, as I said, it becomes self-limiting and they can't hold their weight, then I will either work to find them an opportunity that maybe is more appropriate or get rid of them. I think like this is an interesting category, the empowerment category and the, the dealing with things as a team category. I wonder why most people don't do this when they claim to have empowered teams. I'll give you the example I'm thinking of. Your company claims to have empowered teams but then you do yearly performance reviews that are one-on-one. -on -one. And, and all of your metrics and all of your judgments and or whatever are based on individual contributions. Mm. Normally, the performance reviews are directly tied to whatever pay and bonuses and raises or whatever at the end of the year. How can you do that and claim to have this at the same time? Mm. It seems like you can't, like you're not going to be able to play in both worlds. Or am I conflating this with another bullet point or something else? So, not sure you could be. But I, my mind, it. yeah, but my mind went kind of in a, so think that there could be individual and, and really should be ind individual evaluations, but perhaps in combination with a team evaluation and even input from the team. Yeah. But the other thought I had about this is, wow, what an opportunity. So you, I think you bring up a really great point. What an opportunity to do an experiment. So as a team, we succeed together and we fail together. So what if our incentive is based on that, yeah. right? What if, our, if we have an annual incentive or some other incentive, a quarterly or whatever, what if we're judging each other or grading each other 
as a team. So what I can tell you is, for instance, I've been in retrospectives where I would have someone say, do you know what? The last six months I've been going through whatever and I, I can honestly say I have not been pulling my weight. Yeah. I haven't. And so if we have, let's say, the standard 3% raise every year, right? And let's just say that across the board, our team could decide, but just everybody gets a 3% raise. Mm-hmm. And I'm using this not a bonus structure, I'm saying a raise, and this yeah, is from a right, very yeah. corporate kind of thought process, sure, sure, which sure. may not apply, but just sure. an example. The, the accounting sense yes. of corporate, like yes. 3% raise so that you're only 5% below inflation. I mean, right. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I, I hate it, but whatever, hey, That's it, it, it's, yeah. it's very common. So, but let's just say, so as a manager of that department, you have to decide, do you give one person 4%? That means somebody else Mm -hmm. gets 2%, Mm -hmm. right? But what if you had input from your team? What if your team was able to be involved in that? And this is just all hypothesis. Maybe people are doing this, I don't know. But what if your team was able to be involved either at the level of deciding what raise and how it should be dispersed within their team or a combination of individual evaluations along with a team evaluation to have some kind of a metrics there. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just some thoughts that that, that just kind of thrown yeah. out there. They, people may be doing this. I, I really have no idea. Well, there, there are 360 feedback type models out there where you get feedback from your entire team or that we've even floated that on the podcast, the idea of like a net promoter score, at, not at individual level, at a team level. I floated in a previous podcast don't ask me which podcast it was because I have no idea. I floated in a previous podcast. If you have a program that has a bunch of product owners slash managers, doesn't really matter what Mm -hmm. your job title, a bunch of product people, the idea that the people that those product managers slash owners interact with uh, on a certain time basis, give them a survey. How happy are you that your product idea is being taken into consideration? How happy are you that your product needs are being met? That kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Just just. This is a very simple net promoter score, thumbs up, thumbs down, or it could be a one to five, whatever. It could be anything like that. And as a product organization, you start getting your, you start getting user feedback. Now your, your users is a very broad category, right? It, it could be a mix of internal, external, it could be mm-hmm. external only. Customers, Maybe, users. It could be, yeah, yeah, customers, users. Yeah, exactly. It, it could be a breakdown of, of the categories across like you survey a bunch of people and then you aggregate it all together, but then you break it down. And it, there could be a lot of stuff in that discussion. But I, I floated that on the podcast before. When, well, maybe we just do a very simple survey of five questions, one through five, and we come up with a score. But I feel like at a certain point you have a, I don't even know if I can say this with a straight face, at a certain point, product managers, even probably even scrum masters, like you probably know where your weaknesses are. No, the, like the reason I bring this topic up is because like the, the next segue to this topic is psychological safety. It is the arguing point that psychological safety is just a shield versus accountability, right? Because the, 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 the team structure, I, I know, well, this is a I heavy, to, heavy I need topic. To make some notes. Like the team structure, yeah, yeah, take it. The team idea, like what we were talking about. Oh, well, well if you're going to have a net promoter score, it should be a team level. It shouldn't be an individual level. Or if we're going to do feedback, it should be mm-hmm. a team level feedback. It shouldn't be individual feedback. Mm-hmm. Well, the arguing point, the management argument point for that, I feel, would be, well, that like at that point, like how do you know on a team who's carrying most of the weight of the team and who's dragging you know what i mean like there is a you're using the team 
as a shield to accountability. So you, what you just said was like, well, let the team figure out who makes bonuses or whatever. The difficult part of that is it's tough for any group of people to point at any one person and be like, you are the low performer, or you're the weakest link, you're voted off the island. I just confused all kinds of things when I said that. But uh, people, a lot of people, get yeah, it. yeah, okay. yeah, like uh, th- that is tough for a team to do. So they might like dealing with that tough conversation might be harder than just giving everyone on the team an equal bonus or whatever. Okay, so I I agree with that point. However, I think that it would be a lot more difficult for your new team who are still working because building psychological safety and trust, particularly within a team, takes time, Yeah. right? So if you are, I don't know, say you have a review within the first six months just because it happens at the same time every year, you know, so within the first six months, you haven't had the time with your team to really get to the point where you can call somebody out in a safe way so that that person doesn't feel attacked, Mm -hmm. right? So they are taking it as a point of opportunity and appreciate that, saying, you know what? I appreciate you bringing that up because that's helping me to grow and develop. So I would imagine that team, particularly at the banning, would probably take the safe route and say, all right, everybody just gets the same raise, right? But this would be the perfect, I mean, this would be kind of, I think, the perfect opportunity or thing to discuss in a retrospective. So when we're talking about process, we're talking about improvement. The other thing I would say is you will always have a variation of skills and abilities within a team. Teams, things are going to be some team members are going to be stronger than others, and that's necessary, I think, within a team. You're not going to have every person on a team that's going to be the rock star in everything that we have to do. And depending over a period of time, what we see is we have people really shine in some areas and better than others, and sometimes people find that they realize that they shine in places they didn't even know. So you have these kind of norming happen, right? So as you go through the teams. So I think that as your team matures, that you would have that feedback loop within your team that you would usually have at a retrospective Mm -hmm. that would be more and more honest and more and more readily received and appreciated. If we get to the point of incentives, now we start, this This actually I think could cause a real rift, actually when you think about it. So now thinking about this a little more, going like, wow, all of a sudden we're talking about money, that's almost counterintuitive, mm-hmm. right? Now we throw incentive in here, ah, does throwing the team into it. So from a self-evaluation perspective, I think that that would be a good thing. So the team to self-evaluate as a team, but for the team to maybe come to terms with who gets what in regards to monetary, I don't know. There would be some, that, that, that would take some, I would say, maybe some experimentation. Mm-hmm. Well, this, uh, yeah. this is the part about teams where in the modern implementation of air quotes, I'm doing air quotes for people that are only listening to this, agile, where assuming you have some kind of mechanism for the team members saying, hey, we value this person. We don't want this person to leave. We absolutely can't survive without this person. That kind of thumbs up, thumbs down type of voting. They have to have worked out some sort of bonus structure based off of a consensus style vote. Mm -hmm. 
But I don't, know, I don't know. It's part that, but it's also part like you, you. If your team is truly cross-functional, people in that specific skill set, like for example, if you have somebody on your team, every team has one QA engineer, for example, mm-hmm. and all the QA engineers together represent a community mm-hmm. inside the company. And maybe, maybe the bonus structure is part. Maybe the bonus structure is three parts. Sorry, uh, I'll do the the Ohm German three. There you go. <laughs> Maybe the bonus structure is three parts. Maybe the three parts is number one, that person's whoever hired that person, their direct people manager. I don't know hiring manager. I don't know what to call it. Number two, their team. Number three, their community mm-hmm. and or community lead. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's those three pieces put together, and the HR person kind of walks around and, and does the hard work of consolidating the feedback and mm. giving the feedback that because you you could be talking about a lot of people i mean you yeah. could be talking about the, your community manager all the other people in your community when you're doing community practice events mm-hmm. you could be talking about your direct supervisor who person who hired you into the company the person who's like oh i i hired you into the company i expect you to grow as a person and i'm kind of your mentor but you know i'm not really there every single day that kind of person that kind of, I, I, I don't know like a, in terms of what what they would be day to day and then your team obviously so someone's got to mesh all that feedback and then present it to you in a way that is constructive Sounds like a lot of work. Here's uh, a thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah HR a lot, is a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah. But I'm just saying, though, is it necessary? So what if? Oh, what if we just didn't have bonuses? What if we just, I don't know, paid people appropriately, and didn't have this competition between team members? Which, if we started off with this talking about psychological safety. If we're having, if we have team members or even multiple teams that are, 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 we've created an environment which is actually going to impede that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a detriment to trust. You know, what is the incentive of this person? Why are they saying that? Like, yeah. mm. and potentially breed bad behavior to incentivize themselves. So, I mean, maybe and. All con- context is key here. I get that, but maybe bonus should be looked at more at a much higher organizational. Hey, we made some profit, and let's distribute this amongst our employees, and not have to quibble about it, because our teams, yeah, our teams fail and succeed together, but the cross functionality of those teams and the bigger picture of those teams working together are what makes our entire organization fail or succeed. So if our organization is succeeding, it is to some extent a piece and and parcel of every one of those teams working together. Mm -hmm. And some of those teams will have backpedaled for reasons under no control of their own and still were able to somehow kind of pull through, right? So everybody's gonna have different challenges, but if at the end of the year, we've all come together, right? And we have all moved forward and been profitable. Mm -hmm. So I I just wonder almost if if this whole incentivizing or bonus structure is almost counterintuitive to the the ability for teams for the sake of agile to create the motivation the support and the trust 
that is needed yeah, yeah, yeah. according to, well, to agile principles. Like, I, I see where you're going and it goes against my arguing point, but I think it's a good point. So I'm going to highlight it. This specific bullet point we're talking about is, oh, you're just using this as a shield against accountability. But if you're one team, one product, one team, right? Okay. We're making some assumptions right here. Let's say small, let's say small company. Maybe you only have one product. Uh, one yeah, team. it could be. Well, your if your product owner slash manager, if your product <laughs> owner and your team together, they have full visibility of the P and L for their product. Mm-hmm. They know how much it costs. They know how much the salaries of the entire team. Basically, the the run rate of your team. If you're not hiding from your team how much it costs to fund the team versus how much revenue comes in from the product the team is creating and maintaining. If you're not hiding financial information from your team, then your team, when they make decisions what to implement, they can take financial information into consideration and make the be- the best decision. So where, where I was going with that is oh, th- this this category we started with was shield. Like, oh, I'm going to use this as a shield against accountability. Well, you can't really use it as a shield against accountability if you're saying it costs a hundred thousand dollars a month to fund to, to to basically keep everyone employed and keep the servers running and whatever. So whatever you guys do, if it, you that was a that was a jersey, you guys use guys whatever use guys, use guys whatever use guys yeah. do. Uh, was that inclusive use guys whatever you guys do it's got to be above this amount per month Mm. so you you've kind of delegated that to the team to say hey bring me more revenue Mm. than this per month and assuming that the whole team is included and involved in talking to customers in drumming up business in reaching out and in trying to make make the number of what it costs to fund to to run the product versus what the product brings in to 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 drive that number apart mm-hmm. not, not in a negative way mm-hmm. <laughs> to drive that number to apart if the whole team is involved in that like your business development just you you've you've went from business development being all one person's responsibility to business development being everyone's responsibility i don't see why you would try to hide that unless you were like i don't see a lot of good reasons to hide all those numbers. So, I mean, what you described was transparency. Hello, right, one yeah. of the pillars. Yeah. So we should, in in my mind, or and in from an agile or from a scrum pillar, mm-hmm. we should be providing complete and utter transparency. Now, what I imagine that will do is all of a sudden it takes this kind of with them, it deflates the with them mentality that what's in it, what's in it for me, right? right? So all of a sudden you're going like, hey, yeah, I want to get what's in it for me. It's important that I that that I get my bonus or that I get paid and all those. Yeah. But all of a sudden, and, and particularly if in, if you are in a team in which you have developed relationships, trust, and you are motivated, you are all in line with the you know the vision and the strategy, and you are embracing it as a team. Mm-hmm. You know it becomes your baby. Even more so, you become more accountable as a team if you are aware that hey, you know what we have to keep the lights on. So transparency actually then fosters trust, and it also it it, it fosters uh, additional innovation. Keeping in mind the minimal that we need to accomplish mm-hmm. right i've been at one company they called it keep the lights on so yeah. this is yeah these are the things that we have to do no matter what to keep the lights on yeah. 
right? So these things need to be accounted for. It's the over and above that we need to work towards. Mm -hmm. So if we have a team that has an understanding, even if it's minimally so, I mean, they don't have to get into the minutia and the details of all that, but all of a sudden we have somebody, if, and, and they are they're on board with our vision, they, they have an understanding and, and, and they're dedicated to this as a team, now, to your point, they're going like, well, we need to surpass that, yep. you know, the minimum. We need to surpass the baseline because we have an understanding of what that is, keep the lights on, right. and we need to go above and beyond that. How do we do that? It also helps when we're talking about prioritization, sprint prioritization. If mm -hmm. they have an understanding of that, that really does help with the prioritization of a sprint and how we might yeah. pull things in and get things done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like going back to the previous category of unearned autonomy, like you haven't earned the ability to stand alone. Prioritization is a great topic of that. Like once you do your prioritization and you say, hey, we could do this, we could do this, but I think this is the majority, to, to, to bring those people into that conversation to say, hey, this is what we decided. What do you think about that? I do this a lot in backlog refinements. I invite a lot of people to backlog refinements, uh, and be people that are not necessarily on the team mm -hmm. to backlog refinements because backlog refinement for me is where prioritization happens. Mm -hmm. And also backlog refinement for me is where the team has a chance to dig in or not to a lower level to be like, hey, do we really understand X, Y, Z, right? X, Y, Z for those listeners <clears throat> over the pond. Hey, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> but usually at backlog refinement, we'll get in way deeper than a lot of people want to get in to the discussion and th like that's fine that that's part of why i bring people to backlog like to say hey we're working on all these other things plus, plus usually if you're a product person that uh, different initiatives in the organization are sponsored by different people so if you can bring in the sponsors for different things you can let them discuss it between each other and like at, at that point you're just a facilitator you're just a moderator yes you know or, or and they are or prioritizing themselves a <laughs> referee, referee sometimes yeah. and, well it depends i mean if you have something that, like i've been in a lot of organizations where you have ceo level discussions of like we got to have this by this date mm -hmm. and like that that's it that's it the mm -hmm. decision has been made mm -hmm. there's not really a lot to this there's not really a lot to discuss after that mm -hmm. so you can bring those people in to your uh, decision process and then, yeah, you know, hey, you're done. Well, no, what, what I would say is what might be enlightening for that CEO is to go like, yeah, CEO wants this, bring them into the refinement session or even the planning if, yeah. the, if you're at, at that point. And all of a sudden you realize, yeah, you want this, but we can't get this right. until we get this, right. this, and this done. What right. you're asking requires us to prioritize these other things right. before it can right. happen. So it, it does help people yeah. to align and empathize with other you know, parts of the organization. Uh, the other arguing point against psychological safety will be, well, you're driving consensus by a committee or the arguing point against this will be you know oh we can move faster if, if we just go to our leader and ask him should we do x or y or z or whatever and he'll just pick something and that'll be the end of it we can make decisions much faster that 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 would that, like that's that's where i was going when when i was listening to that point gotcha just to back up just a little bit so psychological safety i would like to hear your perception or definition of that because what I'm hearing now might be aligning, might not align 100% with mine. So when you think of psychological safety, 
it sounded like from your description right there, it was basically the ability to make decisions on your own versus asking leadership for permission. Was it, so I would like to hear your definition of what that means to you. What, what does psychological safety mean to you? Not really. I, I don't like, I, like I'm terrible at demonstrating the other side of the argument sometimes. Like this, is, this would be one of the right, right. points no, where and I'm that's terrible fine. at it. The, the, the argument against in this perspective would be if I'm empowering my teams with the ability, my te- teams, teams being they each have a product representative, right? who's carrying out, if I'm the CEO or even like a director of an entire business unit and I have five teams under me, five, seven teams, whatever, I need to go to those teams. I need, like, I'll go to my product management meeting with my five product managers and maybe their technical reps for all their team or whatever. And I'll say, hey, we, we need to do this new functionality. We need to be pressing in this direction or whatever. Make it happen. And then they'll ask me questions. They'll do experiments. They'll, they'll, they'll pick apart my my dissertation <laughs> from the from the product meeting so so the so for for me in a meeting like that the definition of psychological safety is they are number one they're willing to ask questions in that environment and number two i guess it's different tiers number one they're even willing like i've been in organizations where all the teams are contract like hey you guys need to do this and then nobody says anything and then offline they quietly figure out and fail and do whatever on their own. The the better organizations in that meeting, the the product people f- with their teams will ask questions and try to figure out what they can do to prove or disprove my uh, dictate, my my requests, my demand. Uh, it could be anything. A- and then they will question what makes you think. They, they, they'll ask for the why from me, the leader, and then they'll go figure out what they can do to prove or disprove pieces of the why and then turn around and implement that with their own teams They'll, they will run with my vision i think that this is important to the market they will take that and pick it apart and and distribute it between the teams and they'll run with it mm-hmm. right they'll take my vision break it up into goals between teams and try to prove it disprove it and and depending on what they find they'll run with it and implement it okay psychological safety is tears in my opinion and not to cut to the end of the podcast but tier one is do you even feel safe to question what i'm asking you i, I guess we're talking about product psychological safety at this point there's a whole another side of psychological safety that's team related that we're not even getting into i feel like that could be a whole nother podcast could cut right here and separate that so we're talking about psychological safety from my experience starts at leadership so leadership's ability to not micromanage yeah to be able to say i have a vision and more importantly and and rather than coming into a a meeting or making a a demand use the word demand Mm -hmm. but instead of that describing the problem that we're trying to solve right so i'm not going to make a demand of you i'm going to describe okay here's the problem we're trying to solve you know here's the what Mm Or and the and and or the why and maybe maybe the what we don't the what they know and the why is something that the PO or product person needs to needs sure. to determine sure, right sure, so sure. so I would say that but psychological safety from my perspective is it, it is that that leadership that allows teams and individuals to be comfortable enough to your point to even ask a question yeah. to maybe disagree 
or have a discussion or be brave enough to come up and say, hey, have we thought about it this way? So the point of, you know, there's been obviously studies, uh, Aristotle being the probably the, the most famous, uh, Google's Project Aristotle, but mm-hmm. where psychological safety was determined to be the number one determination for an effective team. And what that, and, and you can go in and Google it, I forget the name of it, where they have all of their basically white paper and documentation yeah. that yeah, they yeah. have, I forget the yeah. name of it. You can but, Google it. Yeah, yeah, Google it. But they, they determined that psychological safety was the number one factor in successful and effective teams. Now their initial hypothesis was the most effective team was to match up the appropriate personalities with the appropriate level of maybe education or knowledge base or all that. They ended up finding that none of that was true, that psychological safety crossing across multiple you know levels of experience and all that but the psychological safety is what allowed and fostered innovation because mm-hmm. you come in sometimes with actually very little experience but the right question because you're not biased because of this long term experience so but if you're in a psychologically safe team you can go that doesn't make sense to me or what have you ever thought of it from this way and that starts with the leadership who allows that to happen with the knowledge that in a new team, they're going to, that it's going to slow them down initially, that it's actually going to impede their progress. But as they become more and more stable as a team and that psychological safety is fostered and more and more trust is developed, then people really start to learn their strengths and their weaknesses, both inwardly and within the team. Mm -hmm. And then they start pulling and and pushing uh, to augment the team in the most appropriate and and effective manners. We were talking about decision-making via consensus now, like, oh, well, I don't don't wanna have decision-making via consensus because somehow that's bad. I mean, is it bad? Like, uh, uh, I feel that the, the decision-making via consensus, is it bad? Like, or, or is that not the question? Like, it doesn't matter how many ha- people you have in the room with uh, coming to consensus. Even if people are, like, looking at the evidence and voting based, based off of the evidence, shouldn't taking into account the evidence be more important than worrying about, oh, well, it's more important to have one dedicated decision maker so you can, so we can make quick decisions that's the point here is is i'm worried about us making quick decisions versus getting stuck and bogged down in the whole analysis paralysis Mm. paradigm and and getting stuck that's the underlying concern here i think if we have so number one the the product i mean if we have a if we have an agile organization so the product person is going to be the one that make that is ultimately responsible for this decision mm-hmm. if they are practicing transparency and adaptation and inspection then this should be an iterative process yeah. and not something that is made just in one meeting in during during a sprint or every month or something to that effect so this should be an ongoing iterative process where everyone on the team would be getting and providing information 
along with, of course, our, our, our review, which we're getting that feedback loop at the end of the sprint if we're, t- if we're doing Scrum, yeah. right? Yeah. So I don't think that it would be, there would be consensus by a majority, but not necessarily what it, during like one meeting. It would be over a period of time. Yeah. Right, where we have you know a consistent feedback loop. Yeah. So I think that that you end up with a person being able to make a decisive decision based on mm-hmm. consensus mm-hmm. consensus over a period of time by majority. Yeah. yeah, like I feel also like we've landed on like the the arguing point against this one, which I'm I'm not doing a great job fighting for it. The arguing point against this one is like the the product owner slash manager on the team is the person that makes this decision, this this prioritization mm-hmm. decision. So if you're having difficulty delegating these big decisions to your product people on the team, like you kind of need to step back and kind of figure out what you're really doing. I mean, you could be in some kind of scaled organization where you have like a chief product person mm-hmm. who does like your product person could be like well we we did this and we did mm-hmm. this and and the evidence leads us to believe this is the next thing we should mm-hmm. do and your chief product person okay. could say like all of your evidence-based decisions i respect and understand but i want you to do this next mm-hmm. like you can get that from a ceo as well in a small company like oh, that, and i've that seen could it happen. crash and burn yeah so as a good product person it would be my job uh, ultimately, it, it does come, if you have a hierarchy like that, yeah. then you can be overpowered as far as decision making. But if I am a good product person, I should be able to present um, effectively. Lobby is what I was going to, that's right? my term for it. Lobby. Yeah, lobby. lobby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with valid data to be able to prove my point, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And to be open-minded to hear from the other the other side so just so there there if you have someone who's a portfolio manager they have a lot of information that i am not privy to mm-hmm. so once we are collaborating together there may be some really good reasons why we need to reprioritize so as long as we have transparency and communication then there's real opportunity to align i'm sold eh. sign me on okay <laughs> <laughs>